Welcome to The Deep End, a podcast brought to you by DigitalOcean. Hey, Jacob. Thanks for joining us uh, today for the Storyteller series uh, for Thank Dio. You. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah. Likewise. Uh, Wanted to start with you know learning more about you and you know how you started your journey with Mirajan and and uh, what got you into uh, the startup. Yeah, so um, I come from a physics background. Um, I studied physics as an undergraduate and then graduate school, um, and I always kind of had a passion for doing development work. You know, like as, I think as most people do, I started as a teenager making you know my own personal website or you know maybe making some websites for other people. Um, so I was always kind of doing development work on the side, but like my, my true passion was was physics. And um, in both of these things, I always had uh, scenarios where I had to work in remote environments, you know, whether that was some sort of analysis server or whether that was, you know, editing WordPress plugins or something like that. Um, and, you know, you had sort of two options. You could either set up your entire production stack locally or, or try to approximate it locally, or you could work over, you know, Vim over SSH. Um, or you could try to use some sort of you know, SFTP client to, to edit files locally and then um, you know, push those up one edit at a time to the cloud. Um, yeah, I can imagine that's how painful that is, right? You know, in a way, trying to set up all the stuff locally and try and work through that and then replicate this, those stuff with your coworkers and whatnot. So. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of feasible you know, 10 years ago yeah. when you had a little bit simpler stack, but now yeah. you've got, you know, the cloud has kind of brought application architectures into this mode where everything is, you know, modularized or componentized. And, uh -huh. um, you know, you have a bunch of different components and it's really hard to, to emulate that entire stack locally. Yeah. Um, you know, especially with, with certain technologies, it's, you know, you have to have different isolated versions of, of Python running, for example, for, for different services. Um, so I had always kind of built like little scripts or tools um, to, to make this work. Uh, and I was never quite happy with them. Um, there were a few tools that kind of came and went that were, you know, open source tools, but, you know, they either weren't exactly what I wanted or they kind of, you know, the support died off for them. I see. Um, so once I got out of grad school, I decided this is kind of a big enough problem that people have, you know, to, to work in remote environments or there's this kind of schism between, um, how your application is deployed and how it's developed, right? You're, right. As, as all the applications have moved to the cloud, you know, you've moved onto the cloud platforms and you've moved them remotely, but your development's kind of still stuck on your laptop. So right. there's this kind of like bifurcation between how these things um, are done. And, and it, I think it's an increasing tension that you have. Um, and then it's really, it, I don't know that there's a good answer to it right now. I think Mutagen is part of that answer. And I think tools like Kubernetes are part of that answer as well, where you can kind of realign the way that you do development and the way that you do deployment and um, and remove that tension between you know the two different teams of your uh, or you know maybe there's some overlap between those teams but right. um, yeah that is that is so cool like you know if if you think about how the technologies evolved and every other cloud providers are trying to do their own thing right and then force you in a way uh, to say here's how we do it local development right why don't you install this tool you know it's so easy to write this plugin and you know go 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 there out and whatnot and as you start expanding your companies ex expanding your teams. Uh, this problem gets harder and bigger, right? You know, and, and, and there's a need to solve that at, at a fundamental level, and I, I believe that's where you guys are going with. Yeah, exactly. Well, and the other thing is, like, once you get to a certain scale, you know, once mm -hmm. you're Google, for example, you yeah. can build these tools internally that let everyone work on 
centralized, yeah. reproducible development infrastructure. Um, but if you're a startup, you know, maybe you're between like three and 30 people on your development team, you don't really have the time to build all that infrastructure and right. scaffolding out, right? Because you're trying to iterate on your product as fast as you can. Yeah. Um, so if you have sort of a turnkey solution that lets you bring on new developers and all they have to do is, you know, spin up, uh, you know, a box on, on DigitalOcean, like, you know, some CoreOS box, and then they can spin up um, containers for their development environment and that and work in that, but still have access to that from their local system. Um, I think it removes a lot of that impedance. Yeah, that's that's so awesome. Can, can you tell me a little bit more about like how, how does the workflow work? Like in a you know a, a new new person coming in to Mutagen and trying to set this environment up or for their team, like what's the process look like? So the idea is that you would script up your application in the same way that you might to run it on you know Docker for Mac, mm -hmm. for example, where you're running locally. So you would set up like a Docker compose file, mm -hmm. or you know if you need Kubernetes, um, you can set up uh, kubeconfig. Um, and then you would, start, you would start up your infrastructure. Um, what Mutagen allows you to do, though, is instead of relying on volume mounts to, to mount code or to forward network traffic into your container, um, you can do that over the internet, essentially. So you can oh. start up your containers on DigitalOcean, mm -hmm. um, and then you can have, uh, or, or you know, any cloud provider, yeah. but I, I am partial to DigitalOcean. Um, Good choice, yes. It's, <laughs> it's very simple. Yep, thank um, you. Yeah, so you can start up your um, containers there, and then you can map uh, code that you want to synchronize in real time um, into those containers. Um, so it essentially replaces volume mounts, but allows them to work remotely over a network and allows them to you know, work with network dropouts. So you know, if you shut your laptop to go from meeting to your desk. That's so like cool. That. that is really cool. So the idea is, yeah, the, you know, there's a lot of tools out there that allow you to do remote development, but a lot of them force you to give up the tools that you use. You know, you have to um, use some sort of browser-based editor. Uh -huh. um, and it's, I, I definitely think those tools have their place. Like, yeah. there are definitely paradigms where a browser is a great environment for mm -hmm. doing something. Um, but there's a lot of people who have spent, you know, 10 or 15 or 20 years configuring, you know, Sublime Text or Vim yep. or TextMe or whatever they're using mm -hmm. exactly how they want it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so to have to switch to some other plugin or some other editor or some web-based thing can be kind of a... Tricky. It can be tricky and can just be kind of a blocker for, for, yeah. for a lot of teams. You know, you might have one person on the team who's very enthusiastic and, and bullish on this idea, but... Um, they're the only ones who's kind of willing to, to switch their tool set over, or maybe it's the tool set they're already using, but it's hard to convince everyone else on your team yeah, to I, get on board with that. I'm one of them. Like, I actually love using Vim, right? You know, it'll be, it'll be yeah. killer for me to go try and change something else and, and, and learn new things that takes me out of my comfort zone. So I think that's a fantastic problem that you guys are solving, right? What's, what's the opportunity look like? What do, you, what do you think where the market is for, for the product that you're building? I think that people are going to realize there's a huge potential in moving to cloud-based development environments. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of companies that are doing it right now, um, but a lot of them are kind of building on top of um, Kubernetes and, and trying to like wrap that up mm -hmm. um, in a way that you know you have to kind of architect your application in a certain way to to use their tool, um, and you know maybe you have some plugin or some editor plugin you have to use. And I kind of want to get away from that. I want kind of want to get back to this you know Unix philosophy of, yeah. of individual tool sets that you can that you can combine together. And I think people are going to realize that they can, you know, they can have their cake and eat it too, right? They can have the low-level access to these tools that they want without having to, you know, architect their application in a certain way. Um, and I think once they get their application into the cloud for development purposes, they're going to realize, you know, okay, we don't have to mock up S3 anymore. You know, yeah. we don't have to mock out our database with, you know, SQLite and see how that works. We can, you know, we can use a staging database or a testing database that is the exact same infrastructure that we're working with. And then, you know, you don't have 
situations where you have developers coming in and saying, okay, well, I'm you know spending the first three weeks just getting my development environment set up because yeah. the scripts, you know, maybe somebody's hard coded their home path into the build script or something like that. Yeah, yeah. That just won't happen essentially, right? Because everything will just be relative to the containers or, or you know, whatever the infrastructure is that you're working in. Not all of it's going to be containers, but um, it's going to be much simpler to just jump into a project, say, you know, mutagen project start, yeah, um, and it will overlay the the sync and the network mapping onto your containers running in the cloud, and you know, it it looks the same. The 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 workflow is the same in terms of how you work with your tools locally. It just doesn't you know melt your CPU on your laptop trying to run eight hundred containers. There you go. So yeah. I think there's a I think there's a bunch of benefits. Um, I think the missing piece has just been a way to move code. Um, and to some extent, network traffic. There are ways to forward network traffic, but to move code in a way that's really low latency mm -hmm. and that's not based on virtual file systems or editor plugins or something like that, where it's just actual files in your file system, and you, you've optimized the synchronization to be you know sub hundred milliseconds, so it looks like it's native file editing because mm -hmm. it is, it is yeah. and then it's propagated instantaneously to your remote environments. That is so awesome. Like the, one of the biggest things that came to my mind was like you know the the productivity boost that you get by removing all these unknowns, right? Uh, by having an environment that is just exactly what it's going to look like in a production, right? Working through that, just, just such an amazing peace of mind as a dev, right? Because you know what you're coding against, you know what the output's going to be like, and things are not going to look different when you actually deploy it, right? So that's fantastic in a way. So Yeah. I think, I think there's also going to be a lot of optimization in terms of moving from the environment you're developing in, into mm -hmm. deployment, and yeah. there, are, there are companies working on that. Yeah. Um, but I think, the f I think the problem is you're trying to you know work against like a local um, Docker or Kubernetes cluster, and it's really um, kind of it's still not exactly faithful to what you're going to have right. when you actually deploy this thing. So I think the first step is to get developers and teams working in cloud-based environments, and then work on how do we you know make it a smooth transition from what you're building and staging to what you're actually pushing out to production. That's awesome. T tell me more about the excitement that you're hearing from your customers, early customers who are trying the product out, right? Um, so yeah, so we have like we have an open source product right now, mm -hmm. and that's been out for a couple of years now. And um, it's it's interesting because there's just a huge variety of, of use cases, and, and including some that I did not expect. Um, <laughs> there you go. Yep. You know, there's people who are using it to like essentially replace Dropbox, but for their code. You know, oh, they wow. want to like, you know, they want to keep their laptops in sync, and so they're they're synchronizing code that way. I kind of you know, my original vision actually wasn't even container based. I was just using it for you know SSH development for you know like websites and right, stuff. Right. Um, but then, yeah, there was a lot of demand for, for support for Docker. Mm -hmm. um, and now there's um, a lot of demand for support for Kubernetes, and that's uh, something that's coming very soon. Oh, that's awesome. That's um, exciting. But um, yeah, it's just it's interesting because people are using it for different things. There's individuals who are using it. You know, they might have some complicated setup where they're having to you know SSH through some Bastion server to mm -hmm. get to some internal yeah. server, and they're you know they're able to do that easily, and it just you know looks native. They don't have to you know use some ultra high latency Vim session. Um, you know, and I think that's important as well, right? It's not just about GUI editors. It's also yeah. It's about having low latency and having you know your local configuration available. Um, so it's it's been helpful to those people who don't want to have to yep. know, work in some ultra restricted system. They can work on their laptop and then just have Mutagen push that behind the scenes. That's and awesome. They really like that. Um, and then we've also had some teams who are able to just you know do exactly this model where they're where they're unifying. They you know they define some Docker environment mm -hmm. that, that's their development environment. Um, you know especially some of them are doing like uh, um, work for for third parties. So they have you know, the third-party code comes in, and they are able to orchestrate that in a way that they can spin it up locally, and, and you have the developers move in and out of the team that's, that's working on that. And it's just a lot easier for them. Yes. Um, 
So, so that's been interesting. But I, we're going to launch a new product soon that will vastly expand what Mutagen can do and the, and the platforms it can access. So quite excited about that. That's but, awesome. Is, yeah. is that something you can share with the team? Or? Um, yeah, I, I can give a, a basic summary right now. So the yeah. idea is essentially, right now Mutagen's support is based on um, when it connects to a remote system, it injects uh, a binary into the mm -hmm. system um, and then communicates with that and uh, does synchronization that way. Um, and we've, we've built support for SSH, we've built support for Docker, mm -hmm. um, but there's you know there's many other orchestration platforms out there that people have, not just Kubernetes, but right. you know, you've got um, like Vagrant, for example, mm -hmm. and, and other virtual machine-based uh, setups. Um, so essentially we're building a tool that allows you to create tunnels that will operate in any remote infrastructure um, without having to you know relay through the cloud or anything, they just you know, directly from your laptop to that remote infrastructure. Um, but it's completely platform agnostic awesome. and, and uh, yeah, uh, you can just set it up anywhere. And so we're sort of uh, at the beta testing stage for that um, and hoping to ship that out to you know, the general public. That is soon. really exciting, right? That yeah. is really exciting. How big is your team? It's just me, actually. Just you? That's awesome, right? So, and you're getting a lot of uh, contribution back from open source community as well, I guess? Yeah, the, the biggest contribution actually is, um, so we get a lot of pull requests, but also just like feedback. That's the mm -hmm. main thing. It's, it's really understanding people's development stories and how they work and the tools that they work with. Because mm -hmm. um, it's just like all across the spectrum. Exactly. Right? It's not just Node.js developers or Go developers. It's, you know, everyone has this problem at one point. Um, and, and I think it's interesting as well, because I think everyone has this problem like early on in their development mm -hmm. career. They're like, how do I write code here and move it there? And they kind of give up because they like they research. Okay, I can do SSHFS, but it you know it's not really working that well from Windows, or there's some caveats yeah, or something. Yeah. And they kind of just give up on the idea and they're like, mm -hmm. I'll just use Vim over SSH. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think people are kind of coming back to this idea, like maybe this is actually feasible now. Maybe we can actually edit code here yeah. using our, our our editor and, and make that look, um, or you know, make that synchronize in real time to a remote system. Um, so that's. That's been interesting, and like you know, as people come back to this idea and they say, "Okay, maybe we can actually do that now." They're they're taking their stack and they're moving that, and and so that feedback is really valuable, like how they're how they're using this, what the tools they're using are, and and how it changes their workflow as well. Because I think there are many things that I haven't thought of yet yeah, in terms yeah. of way people like people would instead of running Mutagen from their laptop, they'll like start up Mutagen in a container and then have that container running in the cloud, syncing code from their laptop to there you know, other go. containers. Yeah. And, yeah, um, yeah. I think that's going to be really exciting. I think I think this new product will will be really interesting for that as well because I think it will add even more interesting topologies that people can set up um, and and play with. So that's awesome. It's exciting. Right? Yeah. So if if you were to define what would a success look like for you, right, six months or a year or two from now? So, I want to have an you know obviously you want to have a successful company, but really what I want is to have an impact on the way that developers work because I've worked mm -hmm. as you know a developer. I worked as you know both as part of a company as, as a contractor mm -hmm. um, where I'm you know, remote from the company. Um, and I, I would like to see the way that we work change. You know, mm -hmm. to, to, you know, we have this amazing cloud infrastructure that these providers have built out. And, we're, and it's great, you know, it's, it's completely changed the way the applications mm -hmm. are architected, the way that they're deployed, the way that, you know, how fast you can deploy your applications. Um, you know, it's all automated now in, in some cases. Um, I think you can. I think we can see that same radical shift for development, and I want Mutagen to be a part of that. That's um, awesome. I want, I want to like just fundamentally change the way that, that developers approach, um, you know, setting up their development environment, and just remove these pain points. Like it shouldn't take you two weeks to get onboarded with a code base. You know, that exactly. You, you know, maybe you need to. You know, maybe you need to read through the code base, but. 
But the thing is, if you if you architect your application in a way where you have really modular services, right, then you know you know all the entry points to your application. It even makes it easier to read through the code, right? Mm -hmm. And then the only you know the only barrier there is is actually getting the infrastructure to run these applications. Um, that's that's really awesome. It, it's a very powerful vision and a problem worth solving, right? I mean, every dev can relate to this. So. Congratulations on taking this journey. Right? That's that's super awesome, right? Let's switch a gear a little bit, right? The name of the company that you chose is super interesting to me. Right? Tell me more about it. How do you how do you get to this name? What does it mean? You know what's behind it? Yeah. So the the name was actually kind of chosen to reflect the architecture of the tool. Mm -hmm. um, so as I said, Mutagen, as it, as it works right now, works by connecting to a remote system, you know, probing its uh, its OS, its architecture, finding an appropriate. Uh, agent binary and then copying mm -hmm. that over and communicating with it. Um, and so this kind of reminded me of like a, a virus in a sense. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I was looking for sort of a, a biological name to sort of reflect the way that it operated. And I, I came across the name Mutagen um, and I liked it because, you know, it's, it's something that uh, it's kind of an interesting word, first of mm -hmm. all, um, but then it also reflects, you know, being able to raise the rate at which, you know, mutations are happening in a mm -hmm. system. Nice. And, and I kind of think that has a, um, I, th I think it's analogous to what you're doing with coding, right? And if you, right, can, right. If you can reduce the barrier to, to, to setting up your development environment, then you can increase the rate at which you can develop your application. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I kind of thought of it as, as uh, analogous along those lines. Yeah, that's super interesting. It's definitely a very catchy name, right? That registers, right? You know, once you hear, you know, you will not forget. <laughs> so. Yeah, a lot, of th a lot of people think it's like a biotech company. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Mutagen, okay, what, which, uh, what sector of biotech are you working on? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's mutagen.io, right? .io, yeah. And that's that's super awesome. So tell me tell me a little bit about your background, right? I, I see that you got you briefly talked about you know degree in physics, right? You were at Oxford. Uh, yes, yeah, so I studied at Oxford. I studied particle physics. Um, I worked on Higgs boson searches. I kind of came in right. At, I came in in 2010, which is two years before the official discovery publication. So I was mm -hmm. really fortunate to be you know involved with that you know at least in some small part um, and the uh, in the Higgs search and uh, so I spent yeah a year at Oxford then two years at the LHC in Geneva I was working on the Atlas experiment and then mm -hmm. uh, a year back in uh, Oxford right on my thesis um, and that was yeah that's interesting you know and CERN kind of has a lot of these these same problems right they have these mm -hmm. massive data sets I mean the data sets that you work on for for physics data, mm -hmm. you know, when they collect them off the detector, I mean, it's it's you know exabytes of, of data, right? And then you filter that down, and, and by the time you you know process and filter and reconstruct that data, and it's you know a data set you can work with, you're still talking several terabytes of data, yeah. right? It's it's a little too much to pull down to your laptop, certainly too much to run an analysis on your laptop, um, and so CERN. You know, has built a lot of really complex infrastructure to to handle these analysis, both you know interactive infrastructure and batch infrastructure. Um, but uh, I think, you know, I think there's a lot of potential as well for physics, you know, yeah. to, to be able to interact in, in real time with these massive data sets. You mm -hmm. have to have, you, you know, that's not hardware you can carry around with you. Right. Um, and especially, you know, if you do really complex reconstruction that might involve, you know, uh, specialized hardware like GPUs or uh, uh, FPGAs or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, you know, that's all, always going to be infrastructure that, you know, is centralized, right? Yeah. And maybe shared by several people. Right. Um, so I think that, you know, kind of, for me, is a, is a segment I, I would like to be able to make some contribution to as well in terms of the way that, that work is done there. Because um, I think a lot of physicists are, 
maybe frustrated, or at least grad students, yeah. I don't know, maybe maybe postdocs are more calm, but I know a lot of grad students, you know, you want to run some analysis, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, you submit the jobs to the batch queue and it takes, you know, hours and hours to, to get your results back. And so um, if you had a more interactive workflow, and I think this is another place where, you know, web-based IDEs are, are right. really cool because I think you can do, um, you know, really cool interactive analyses in like, an, you know, a Jupyter notebook, for example. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the thing is, when you when you do that, you always have like a huge amount of underlying analysis code, right? You might have these this great demo in a Jupyter right. notebook where it's like, oh, there's three lines, you get this amazing plot. Yeah, but there's like 50,000 lines of underlying analysis code that goes into making that plot. And so I think, you know, Mutagen can maybe complement systems like that where you might have, you know, a big analysis code base, and you maybe need to tweak that or, or mm -hmm. adjust some parameters. But then you know you wanted to have the nice visualization. So I think you know those web-based IDEs are, are really cool for that. No, no, no doubt about it, right? You know, I I have a twelve years boy, right? And he he learns how to code in school, right? So I'm convinced that at some point the next generation is going to use the coding to supplement their core job, right? It does not have to be. Not everybody's going to be a dad, right? They probably doing physics, learning chemistry, right? Or probably playing soccer or whatnot. But having these technologies on their hand that provides the layer of abstraction and making life easy, mm -hmm. you know, will essentially that next step into things that you said, you know, taking out those frustration uh, that are secondary to your core job, right? And, and, and allowing these uh, sort of innovations is going to be the key. So I'm super excited about the journey that you are on and, and the problem that you're trying to solve, right? So that's, that's really great. Tell me, tell me more about the, the aha moment, right? What was that moment when you decided this is it? You know, I need to go and full time. I'm going to stop doing what I'm doing, and this is it. I think um, so. I, I think the, the the motivation for doing it was was something that was built up over several yeah. years. But yeah. I think the moment for me was when I realized. Uh, that users were using this thing in a way that I had not originally anticipated. Uh -huh. They wanted to, you know, they wanted to work in containers, for mm -hmm. example, um, which was something that you know I hadn't originally built support for. Uh, mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it was easy to integrate because of the way it was architected. But um, I realized that there was a whole like massive world of untapped ideas and potential there that I, you know, needed to be explored. Um, and so I decided that, you know, okay, I'm going to finish up my contracting work and then mm -hmm. I'm going to kind of go full-time on this and, and, and work on this and, and um, really make this experience, uh, you know, for developers something that is just completely seamless, you know. Um, you know, the tool, the open source tool at the time was was good, but um, it wasn't as seamless as I wanted it right. to be. Um, and, you know, it didn't have, you know, network forwarding, for example, at the time. And there was a, there's still, you know, a lot of things I want to build into this and, to, you know, to really make it look like your laptop is yeah. know, having the power of, of all the cloud infrastructure that's backing it. Um, but yeah, I think it was, I think it was when, when I realized that people were abusing it in a way yeah. that, that was exciting, you know, and I think that was, uh, that was the moment where I decided, okay, I need to really explore this and, and see what the you know potential applications could be. Fantastic. This and, I, is... and I think I still haven't even come close to scratching the surface. Oh of yeah, what those yeah. Applications could <laughs> be. I'm with you on that. This is this is a great example of you know the passion meeting a real purpose in a way. Like you know you were passionate about solving that problem, right? And the purpose was so rightful. So I think you know you're you're onto something. Super exciting. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. you know it's an interesting technical problem as well. Yeah. It, it sounds kind of mundane, but it's actually you get to touch like essentially all of the, the yeah. stack from like low-level system calls to you know yeah. building a, the web application, um, and I think it's a really complex technology um, 
you know, there was like a quote from Rob Pike, who uh, yeah. was one of the Go inventors, and I don't remember the exact quote, but it was something along the lines of, to make something really simple is, you know, extremely complex. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and there's a huge amount of complexity that goes into to building something that looks simple. Um, and, you know, Mutagen is still evolving, and I wanted to make it even simpler and more accessible and, and automatic for people. Um, but there's just a huge amount of, of interesting complexity that yeah. goes on behind the scenes to enable that. And so that's been kind of fun as well to, to work yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, talking about complexity, I t to me, let's talk about some of the moments where you had some really hard challenges to be solved, right, in this journey where you probably had a moment, is this really I want to solve, right? Is this what I want to go after? Like, what was, what was that moment where you had a really hard problem to be solved? Hmm, that's tricky. Um, I mean, not, not that there aren't any, but there's, yes. like, there's so many that it's, it's difficult to kind of pick one out. Um, I think, you know, with the product I'm working on now, this sort of transport and uh, platform agnostic mm -hmm. extension to Mutagen, um, there's been a lot of technological research that went into that, uh -huh. and, I, and I wasn't really sure that it was going to be possible or feasible. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, now that I am, I'm, I'm a little bit more relieved, but... Um, yeah, I was, you know, part of me wondered, you know, should I just build in, you know, sort of bespoke support for all these different platforms and all these different uh -huh. protocols, or should I, like, really try and push the envelope and make this work in mm -hmm. a way that's completely protocol agnostic? And, mm -hmm. and fortunately, yeah, I, I had some, you know, some luck in terms of finding the right solution to that, and, um, and uh, but there was, a, there was a point where there was a lot of prototypes that didn't quite work the way that uh -huh. I wanted, and I was you know, kind of not sure if that was actually going to, to be something that was possible or, or viable. Yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, to be honest, it's not something I figured out completely by myself, right? There's of course. a lot of, especially open source technologies yes. and standards that, that, make it ex that make it feasible. Yeah, yeah. Um, but finding the exact right combination to, in, in which to combine those things was, was quite difficult. It's, it's always the hardest thing in a way, right? And, and, and as a founder, one of the, one of the biggest challenges is to, to figure out, like, where can I cut the corners, right? Is it right time to take pile onto the tech debt, right? What is the fastest yeah. way to get the product out of the market, right? What not? So, yeah. Do you have any advice that you can share with the other founders uh, around, you know, what approaches you should be taking when you when you hit the bump? I, you know, for me, it's um, it's really because I'm a solo founder as well, so I don't have anyone to bounce. I mean, I have people I bounce ideas off of, mm -hmm. but they're not sitting in the office right. next to me. Um, so, you know, when I want to ask someone advice, it has to be, you know, a very pointed question. It's not just sort of open brainstorming. Um, so for me, the difficult thing is, you know, especially if you're building a lot of prototypes mm -hmm. and you have a lot of different design paths that you've gone down, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's difficult to partition those, like, failed ideas off, but also still extract, um, you know, the useful tidbits of, of knowledge and information you've got out of there, right? Right, right. Um, like I, I don't remember what the sh there was a TV show or something with like some time travelers and uh, every time like they would change the timeline they they would have to remember all of the the previous timelines that they had experienced and and it would like start to you know make them go slightly crazy uh -huh. and I think as a solo founder it's kind of similar right? you have all these these ideas and these paths that you're going down and they don't work out but you're still carrying that that baggage of all the development and the thought and the design that went into that and you need to figure out a way to like partition that off and and still you know extract the the useful intelligence that you gained but. That's otherwise, otherwise, let it not drag you down because it's, right. it's really easy to just go down a path and get lost, and then you realize, like, you know what? Nobody needs this feature, and uh -huh. why? Why am I still trying to figure that out? You know, there's there's a very simple way to to do that, and 
Yeah, so that's for, for me the difficult thing, especially as a solo founder, is just being able to partition off those. Right, right, and, and, and filtering out the noise and keeping keeping what's important along with you in a way, right? So. Yeah, yeah. So uh, talking about a solo founder, like has has there been a time where you felt, boy, it would have been great to have somebody. I, I still feel that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I still I still feel that a lot. Um, you know, I. Th- I, you know, I've done startups before, and I've, you know, in it with a, a founder, and there are a lot of like extreme pros to that, mm-hmm. and there's also cons to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've had that experience before. I think as a solo founder, you know, there's there's the same pros and cons, kind of in the opposite direction. Um, but um, it's, you know, it's it's okay. It's yeah. Uh, I, I I you know I still would love to have somebody to to bounce ideas off of regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think the difficult thing with being a solo founder is that like every failure is completely your fault. You know, not not that you want to be the kind of person, <laughs> not that you want to be the kind of person who blames other people for for your failings or any failings, mm-hmm. uh, especially not in a startup team. That's not yeah, a healthy. Right. That's not a healthy uh, mo. Yeah. But as a founder, you you do necessarily internalize that, and I, and I think that's true of like even if you have a company with employees, right? You're still mm-hmm. going to internalize the failures of the company as your own. Yes. Um, and and truthfully, they are. Um, but yeah, if you don't have that, you don't have someone else to like kind of balance out your emotional state when you're mm-hmm. at, at the low levels. That can be, that can be difficult. And, and I think that's something that that um, in Silicon Valley people start talking about now is like is the emotional state of founders. It's really important to the health yeah, of the yeah. company. Um, I think you know with a solo founder, it's uh, maybe even more precarious. Yeah, yeah. So tell me more. How do, how does it feed into your Motivation when you when you go through those states, and I'm pretty sure you know being a solo founder and solving such a technically complex problem, right? There are ups and downs, right? How does it feed into your motivation? How does it how does it keep you going every single day? I think you know honestly, it's it's the the fact that I get feedback from people online. You know, you get GitHub mm-hmm. issues, right? Even if they're a complaint, even if they're bugs, it's yeah, like yeah. you know what? That means someone's using the product and it's exciting, <laughs> yeah. right? So. Um, but but mostly as positive feedback, uh-huh. um, and and a, and a lot of the requests that come in are, are feature requests. They're like I love nice. this, but I would really love that, you know. And, and that's that's motivation for me, um, especially when I'm you know kind of stuck on something. Mm-hmm. Um, but for 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 now, I think people are actually quite excited about the idea, right, so right. that that keeps me excited. But yeah, like everyone, I kind of hit technical roadblocks or, yeah, or yeah. development roadblocks, and you know, there's especially in running a company, there's other things besides just writing code that that kind of trip you up. So right, um, right. That's something to deal with as well. Exactly. So I, I bet you know keeping uh, working with the open sources definitely helped you out dramatically, right? Uh, in this journey, <laughs> and I guess that's one of the reasons and sources for your motivation, feedback, and learning and building the product out, right? So, is, are there any words that you want to share with the community on betting on open source? Because you know, there's two sides of open source in a way, right? You know, people are. Uh, excited about it, but they're also concerned about using it to an extent uh, where they don't know, full, they don't fully understand the aspect yeah. of the code and what if things go wrong and whatnot. So, what what is the advice would you like to give to fellow think, founders? I think for me, it's the, the most important thing has just been really careful, being very careful about the, the projects and the libraries and technologies uh-huh. that I select. Um, I try to keep, you know, dependencies to a minimum. Uh-huh. Not not that I don't want to, not to knock open <laughs> source code, but. You know, I think in any project you want to keep complexity to a minimum, um, and you have to manage your your technical debt. and And not fully understanding a third party project to some extent is technical debt, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think I think just being very selective about what you choose and, and vetting, you know, just pull in dependencies dependencies blindly, right? Like right, vet right. what you're going to pull in. Um, 
And I think, you know, fortunately, when you have language like Go, which is what Mutagen is built in, mm -hmm. it's so easy to yeah. just go look at the source. Like you can go look at the standard library mm -hmm. syscall implementation and it's totally understandable. Yeah, yeah. So that's, I think that's a real benefit. There are obviously, you know, if you're pulling in some 25-year-old C++ library, uh -huh. you may be less fortunate in that regard. But, um, you know, you, if, you, if you're really in need of that, then maybe you have the technical expertise to, to vet that as well. <laughs> yep. So I don't know. Um, yeah, I think, I think, like, there's definitely no way Mutagen would exist without the libraries that underlie right. it. Right. I mean, the code base is, it's like 50,000 something lines of code now. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, the dependencies are, are millions of lines of yes, code. Yes, yes. And, and I think it's just not possible anymore to write, you know, not, not only that, but you wouldn't want to build your entire application stack from scratch, right? Yeah. You're not a security expert. You're not, <laughs> I mean, even if you are a security expert, right, then it's not something, you're not going to re-implement that every time that you're, yeah, yeah. you're doing a project. Um, but not even just that. I mean, any, you know, just doing colorized output on the, uh, on the command line, it's like, there's just, you know, there's no reason to write that yourself. You know, you're going to have to go to the open source community and, and there's just so many great projects out there now. And I think especially um, there's kind of, I don't want to say like a barrier to entry, but like the production value of open source projects, it seems to me has kind of increased. You mm -hmm. know, you have, there's this idea that you kind of need to build a community around every open source project that you do. And, mm -hmm. and not everyone. I mean, if you're doing some yeah, yeah. utility library, maybe not, but if you're talking about the major dependencies you're going to add, um, I think it's I think it's useful to look at the community around it and see mm -hmm. you know not only how we, how often is this library updated, but just you know how helpful is the community and, yeah. and how active is the community. Um, but fortunately, I think there's there's also a really great shift you know especially in like you know Go and Rust and other mm -hmm. communities towards this really open and uh, engaging community where it's. You know, everyone's willing to help. You know, yeah, yeah. in the same way that entrepreneurs want to help other entrepreneurs, yep. I think open source developers want to help other open source developers. They just want to see cool stuff exist, and I think that's really cool. Yeah, that's that's really fascinating. How communities have changed. You know, our day to day lives, and you know how much dependent we are, and and trust that we build across individuals and people to to build the great stories like that. That's super fantastic. Tell tell me more about your work, your life outside the work. Right? You know, what do you what do you do when you're not working on Mutagen? Uh, so yeah, I have kind of a, like an interesting, so I've just moved back to the U.S. actually. I was living in Ukraine for, for five years. Oh, wow. I met my wife while I was studying and then you know, she's Ukrainian, so it was just easier to move there. So I've been kind of living in, in Ukraine and absorbing Ukrainian culture for the last five years, which has been interesting and exciting. Um, and, and now I've just moved back to the U.S. Um, to, to pursue this uh, startup. Um, but uh, yeah, I like to travel. I like, yeah. um, especially, especially in Ukraine, there's, there's just like so much great nature there. It's, yeah. it's amazing. You go to the Carpathians and it's just this untouched, um, like beautiful, you know, hiking areas or skiing. Uh, well, the skiing is developing, but it's, it's coming. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, like, I like being outdoors. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, as much as I like development and I like coding, I really hate sitting in front of a computer for yeah, periods of time. <laughs> but it's, you know, that's kind of the nature of the beast. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I think it's like it's like watchmaking, right? It's like you you really appreciate your craft, and you spend like twenty, thirty years just learning to start it, and mm -hmm. then, but you're still hunched over all day. Yeah. Like so, so being able to get outside is is really important. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean. No, that's great. That's great. You know, it's all. You know, I think I think as a solo founder, it's like it's I don't know if it's expected, but it's kind of just natural that you're working or at least thinking about your startup most of the most day, of the time, unfortunately. Yeah. 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 Um, but I think it's getting to a point now where it's a little bit more manageable, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, when you start a company, there's a whole lot of logistical stuff that has absolutely nothing to do with the product that you're building. Yeah, yeah. Um, unfortunately, I had some help with that, but um, 
but yeah, it's still it's still a huge time sink. Um, yes, and you know you've got people who are emailing you issues, people who are um, you know emailing you and just uh, asking you about your general plans, and you know you've kind of got to keep in touch and and not let those leads go cold and. So yeah, it's it's sort of a, a full time endeavor for me at the moment. Yeah. But I'm I'm hoping that that work life balance and, and being a, away from the computer will will improve. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent, most definitely, right? As you grow, and that's those are some of the things that will help you take the next step yeah. in the in the journey that you are on. That's fantastic. Tell tell me about a few people that you really admire the most. Like you know, you look for aspiration and you know the learnings. You know who I really admire? I like the Stripe founders. Um, oh yeah, they're just like the purest form of entrepreneur. It's kind of amazing. <laughs> like they have these ideas and they're just able to actualize them, and 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 but they're able to do it in this kind of you know startup MVP fashion. I mean now they're like a very large company, but mm -hmm. you know when they built their startup. I mean I remember back in 2012 when I was working on a different startup. We were looking at Stripe as they were kind of just coming out. Um, and it was crazy because it was such a like a small company, but they were able to build this this incredibly complex platform, and now it's grown into this enormous thing. So yeah. if I had even like one tenth of the success that that those two have had, I would be very very excited. <laughs> oh yeah, the Stripe founders. I think it's just it's they're they're really just. I mean, they're both insanely smart. Mm -hmm. You know, you just listening to them talk is is kind of. It's like not as intoxicating, but you like kind of go to a trance just like listening to them talk about like building a business, and it's and it's kind of. Just amazing, like how focused and um, like there's very minimal waste in the way that they like approach their business and the way they, they build their business. So I would say if I could aspire to be, you know, uh, a diff, you know, to that level of success, that would be ideal for me. You know? Yeah, I wish you good luck. And having that support from from the community is is fantastic. So yeah, even if you're complaining about it, yes. it's still like that's super valuable yep. feedback. You know, um, in fact, it's, I would say it's even more valuable feedback to to hear what's not working than what is, you know. So. All right, cool. Thank you very much for spending cool. time with us. It's Thank been you. a pleasure and yeah, good likewise. luck. Thanks very Thank much. You.